Thanksgiving Day may be over for this year, but the need to give thanks will never be finished. Hello again, friends. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Welcome you back to Encounter God's Truth, the weekly teaching outreach of Dr. John Whitcomb and Whitcomb Ministries, Incorporated. All this month, we focused on Thanksgiving, and today we're finishing our series from the book of Job called Thankful in Spite of Trouble. Remember, if you've missed any part of it, you can hear it in its entirety at sermonaudio.com forward slash Whitcomb. Today, our speaker will take us to the final chapter of this great and ancient book of the Old Testament, Job, showing us how Job repented and put his trust completely in the Lord, who once again graciously blessed him with abundance. Dr. Wickham will lead us now in a message entitled, Thankful for What God Restores. Friends, I invite you to join me in looking carefully at the final chapter of this amazing book of Job. Job chapter 42. Listen carefully. After God had showed him all the universe and the weather and the snow and the ice and the plants, animals, including dinosaurs, Job finally answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do all things and that no purpose of thine can be thwarted. Can you and I say that, dear friends? Now, back in chapter 40, he did not really admit to God's sovereignty or his own sinfulness like he is now. So now he is recognizing what? God's creative power and genius, his sovereign control of the world, and his providential care and his love. Uh, Ryrie, in his footnote in his study Bible, says, Job repents of his pride and rebellion and finds contentment in the knowledge that he has God's fellowship. This is the great lesson of the book. If we know God, we do not need to know why he allows us to experience what we do. He is not only in control of the universe and all its facets, but also of our lives, and he loves us. Though his ways are sometimes beyond our comprehension, we should not criticize him for his dealings with us or with others. God is always in control of all things, even when he appears not to be. In Job's final words of repentance, in Job chapter 42, verse 2, he admitted that God knows everything, God's purposes cannot be thwarted, and then he does something interesting. In verses 3 and 4, he quotes what God said back in chapter 38 when God broke the silence of many months and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? And I will ask you and you instruct me. Now watch how Job repeats what God said and then gives an answer. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? And here's Job's confession to that challenge. Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. You know, that word wonderful, isn't that amazing? God once uh, said to the parents of Samson, Why do you ask for my name? Because it's wonderful. Reminds us of Isaiah, doesn't it? Chapter 9, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Thank you, God. Thank you for being so wonderful in every possible way we can imagine. Then he repeats another challenge that God gave him. Listen to verse 4. God had said to him, Hear now, and I'll speak, and I'll ask thee, speaking to Job, and do thou instruct me. Can you imagine anything more awful? And now his final word of repentance. Verses 5 and 6. I have heard of thee, Job said, by the hearing of the ear. I've heard reports of you, rumors about you. But listen, now my eye sees thee, therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. My what? My eye sees thee. You know, this is sort of a, a, a partial fulfillment, isn't it? Of that wonderful dream, hope, 
prayer that he had back in chapter 19 of this book. He said, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes shall see and not another. What a wonderful insight into the coming day of his resurrection and glory to see the Lord. You know, that's a hope you and I have, isn't it, dear friends? You remember what the Apostle John said in his first letter, 1 John chapter 3? Listen to this. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Now listen carefully, friends. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we should be like him. Why? Because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. What a transforming experience that will be for God's people to see the Lord face to face and be transformed by his grace into his image and likeness in a, in a way that we've never existed before, totally sinless and glorified. Thank you, God, for that blessed hope that blessed hope. So Job has said, in effect, Lord, I was wrong, you were right. Now be careful here. He's not admitting that he deserved the punishment that he had experienced through all these months. Otherwise, his three friends would have been right. He is simply saying, I never fully understood what was happening to me. It wasn't punishment for something I did wrong. There was some deeper purpose you had in putting, and, and as far as we know, as far as we know, friends, God never told him, I was trying to show Satan something about you. I wonder if he ever found out. Well, friends, we know something about Satan too, don't we, today? We know something, that he is accusing us before the Father night and day. That's Revelation 12. And I say, Lord, I don't even want to listen to that. I don't want to imagine what he finds in me that he can accuse me before you. But I have a sin nature. Even the Apostle Paul said, when I want to do something right, I do something wrong. There's a deep, deep, oh, wretched man that I am. I have a sin nature. Now, we're not to be depressed about this, overwhelmed, crippled. No, just be realistic. We need the intercession of the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, Romans 8. Those are very deep relationships that we have with God and even in the presence at times of Satan himself. Now, friends, that leads us to the final paragraphs of this great book. Job is now right with his God in a way he never, ever imagined possible. And I say, now, Lord, next to Abraham and Noah and Daniel, he sure was the righteous man of the Old Testament, praying now for his wicked friends, his evil friends, which adds another dimension to his suffering that, that no one had ever thought of. Now, watch carefully. This is somewhat complicated. And it came about, Job 42, 7, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, he was the chief of the three friends, remember, that came to him. God said to Eliphaz, my wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends. Why? Because you have not spoken of me what is right. Now listen, as my servant Job has, of all the extreme statements that Job had made about God, he had never denied him, remember, but he began, in a sense, to accuse him of this and that, obviously. But he had never, ever denied him. And so the three friends now are told to do what? 
Therefore, God said to Eliphaz and his two friends, Take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. That's very expensive, dear friends. This is a major sacrifice. And go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job will pray for you. Can you imagine? Jesus said pray for our enemies, didn't he? Look at this. Uh, He'll pray for you. Wouldn't you like to listen to Job's prayer? Oh, Lord, forgive those three friends of mine. They were trying to be helpful, but they were hurtful. Wonder what he said. For I will accept him so that I may not do with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. My servant Job. Fourth time in the book, God acknowledges that Job is his servant. What a blessing. What a reassurance. Now, remember, the three friends never really spoke to God anywhere in this book that we can find. They, they, they thought they knew a lot about God, but they were mistaken in thinking that God only brings calamity or tragedy or sorrow because of some specific sin. They didn't have a profound understanding of God's providence, of God's purposes in the world. They had no idea. So God is going to now get the record straight between Job and his three friends. So, so what happened? Verse 10, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. Isn't that amazing? He was restored when he prayed for those three men. You remember how the Lord Jesus commanded us, for example, in Mark eleven twenty-five: Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your transgressions. We'll never forget what Jesus did from the cross. Lord, Father, God, forgive them. They know not what they do. Hard, hard things, isn't it, friends, to pray for our enemies. In this case, of course, praying for his friends, so-called friends, who had deeply hurt him for many months. Then what happened? Here's the first step of his restoration. What happened? All his brothers and all his sisters, we never knew he had brothers and sisters. Where where have they been? His wife, by the way, is not mentioned here. What happened to her? As we've asked and wondered before. And all who, had, all who had known him before, not just brothers and sisters, but notice everybody, his neighbors who had known him before, came to him, and they ate bread with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought on him, not Satan. Isn't that interesting? They knew nothing about Satan. Job didn't know about Satan's part, but he still needed comfort, and he was comforted. Better late than ever, they finally consoled him and comforted him. And each one gave him one piece of money and each a ring of gold, not to help him, but to honor him, to show their respect for him in the sight of Almighty God. And I say, what an amazing thing, dear dear Father, that you've done here to show us an example of how you deal with tragedies and conflicts and frustrations in our lives. So, you know, when you go back into this amazing book of Job, listen to what he said, chapter 23. Verse 10, he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He was given some gold, wasn't he? By his family and friends. But he himself will come out as gold, refined in the fire of affliction. My foot has held fast to his path, Job said. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Amazing. Uh, Listen to what he said in chapter 26. He said that God 
has opened up Sheol, and Abaddon has no covering. He stretches out the north over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. What an amazing statement. As God showed him more and more of his mastery, control, direction, plan, purpose for the whole universe, he began to see things that it's taken thousands of years for astronomers to discover, hasn't it? The earth is not resting on anything or anyone except what? The power of God's hand. Of course, he uses an invisible, mysterious force called gravitation to hold us in orbit around the sun. But there's nothing you can see. Astronauts on the moon couldn't see the earth sitting on, standing on, resting on anything. God showed him this thing. Now, listen to what else God showed him. Job thirty-six twenty-six fourteen. Behold, these are the fringes of his ways, and how faint a word we hear of him. But his mighty thunder, who can understand? And that brings us to the amazing chapter on wisdom, chapter 28, as he is now being refined and purged and purified by God to be a man of unparalleled wisdom in the whole human race of his generation. Surely, Job said, chapter 28, verse 1, there's a mine for silver and a place where they refine gold. Iron is taken from the dust and from rock copper is smelted. And now a mine shaft is described that goes down, down, down into the depths of the earth where no falcon's eye has ever seen or proud beast has ever been. And finally, what happens? His eye sees anything precious. But where can wisdom be found? You have to dig deep to find some precious metals sometimes. But how about God's wisdom? Where do you find that? Where do you dig? Where do you search? Where do you go to find God's wisdom? And that dominates the final section of Job 28. Listen to this. Where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Of course, Paul knew in Colossians 2 that in Jesus Christ dwells all the wisdom and knowledge of God. But of course, Job didn't know Jesus like we do. But what he did know was absolutely amazing. He said, man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says it's not in me. The sea says it's not with me. My, pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it. That's divine wisdom. Nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned. And the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia, I mean, Job goes through the whole list of the most precious things in the whole world of his day. The topaz, a precious stone of Ethiopia, cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Question, and your question and mine too, isn't it, friends? This is of infinite importance to you and me today. Where then does wisdom come from? Real wisdom, divine wisdom, where do we find it? Where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living, of all men, concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, with our ears we have heard a report of it, but they don't know it. Where is the wisdom? Listen now to the answer. Have you found it, friend? Have I found it? Something to be profoundly thankful for. We've been through a Thanksgiving season. Thank you, God, for giving us the key to wisdom in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now here's how God revealed this to Job. Listen carefully. Job 28, verse 23. God understands its way. He knows its place, for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. 
when he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure, when he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and also searched it out. Searched what? Wisdom, divine wisdom, eternal wisdom. And to man, he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Friends, that's adoration. That's love. For God's what? Propositional revelation, which is now inscripturated. Job didn't have the Bible that we have. So God spoke to him directly about these things. But how precious is this written record of what God said to Job and later, of course, to Abraham and to all the patriarchs and to the prophets and to the apostles through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself. He said, the fear of the Lord is wisdom and to depart from evil. We can't do that without divine help, without the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit, friends. We can't depart from evil, can we? To depart from evil is understanding. And I say, Lord, how amazing this is. The things that you told Job thousands of years ago that we have in written form now in our New Testament. And I say, praise the Lord for the wisdom that you've given us. Culminating in what? In the amazing, fantastic book of Revelation. That pinnacle, that capstone of divine written revelation of the previous 65 books of the Bible. And we end, of course, with the glory of God in a new heavens and a new earth forever. And friends, isn't it amazing how the book ends? God restored to him more than he'd ever lost, doubled all the things he lost, even his children, because half of them, remember, were in heaven. But now he had twice as many as he did. He had 20 children, not 10. And I say, Lord, isn't that an amazing principle, kind of a resurrection in advance in the kingdom of God, isn't it? A token that he did not deserve. And we can't say God will restore to us everything we've lost in this life. Christians in this life cannot expect like Job received double of everything we've lost. No, but in the coming, it'll be more than double, won't it? Listen to this. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake shall receive what? Many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. And I say, that's amazing, Lord. How gracious, how kind you to restore more than we've ever lost in this in our Christian life. And I say, Lord, help me to live in the light of what's coming and to know that you are not only fair and just and righteous, but kind, gracious, overwhelmingly gracious. Just like the Lord Jesus said, come to me, not just to some philosopher or leader. Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden with our sin nature, friends. What a burden. And, and, and put your trust in me and, and I'll, I'll give you rest. I'll give you comfort. I'll give you joy and peace. I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest in your souls. Dear friend, do you know the Lord Jesus? Do you trust him to restore to you in the coming kingdom every little thing you may have sacrificed or lost or suffered for because of your testimony? Be careful. We don't deserve anything, friends. I don't want what I deserve, and neither do you, before a holy God. But thank you, Lord, for restoring in the future every single thing I could ever dream of today. We'll not be in heaven, friends, and say, oh, we thought it'd be better than this. When Jesus said, I will prepare a place for you, and I'll come and receive you to myself, that where I am, there shall you be also. And when we get to our heavenly home, we'll be totally satisfied, then and forevermore. The big question, however, friends, is that do you know his wisdom? 
Have you trusted in him as the one who alone can save you from the penalty of sin? Do you know that he died for you on that cross, paid in full the penalty you and I could never pay, confirmed by his bodily resurrection from the dead? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the book of Job, for the lessons you've taught us, and for helping us to know who you really, really are. Thank you, God. Well, what a great way to end our Thanksgiving season this year. Thank you, Dr. Whitcomb, for those good words today. You're listening to Encounter God's Truth. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and I want to remind you that you can find lots of information about our ministry at whitcombministries.org. Now, Dr. Whitcomb, it's been good for us to survey the life of Job throughout this Thanksgiving season, but as we come to our question and answer time, what more can you tell us about Job's character that would demonstrate even further what a righteous man he really was? Friends, it is so fascinating to see something about the character of Job. Satan, you know, accused him of just uh, being a hypocrite, that worshiping God just for what he could get out of him. Uh, even his three so-called friends said, God would never do to you what he's done if you were a righteous man. You have been an evil person and God has caught up with you. How awful. And so it's so important, friends, to see what uh, Job really said about himself. And this is a remarkable chapter, 29, chapter 29. He, re- he, he looks back over the years. What did he do? With what motive? For the glory of God. Listen to this. Job twenty nine twelve, I delivered the poor who cried for help, and the orphan who had no helper. The blessing of the one ready to perish came upon me, and I made the widow's heart sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind, feet to the lame. Almost sounds like the Lord Jesus, doesn't Going all over the place, just showing... Love for people in a state of, of uh, turmoil, affliction, and suffering. Listen to this. I was a father to the needy, and I investigated the case which I did not know, and I broke the jaws of the wicked and snatched the prey from his teeth. And, and he said, everybody respected me. Old men arose and stood. Princes stopped talking and put their hands on their mouth. The voice of nobles hushed and their tongues stuck to their palate. When the ear heard, it called me blessed, when the eye saw, it gave witness of me. And, and people everywhere, Job said, respected me. For what? My obvious integrity, holiness, love for people, concern. I was not a hypocrite. And friends, that's so important for you and me today, isn't it, friends? We have to be very careful about claiming to be a child of God, a Christian, and not show any evidence of it whatsoever. We're not saved by our works. no. Listen to how God describes our Christian life and testimony. God says in Philippians 2.12, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now watch it. Work it out. Don't work it in. Only you can be saved by grace, right? But once you're saved, you're to work out your salvation, sanctification, process of glorification as the ultimate goal. With fear and trembling. Why? How? For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, to do all so do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourself to be what? Blameless and innocent children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights of the world. That's what Job was. That's what he claimed to be. That's what he proved to be. Isn't that amazing, dear friends, how God confirmed 
the testimony of Job, his character, his love for God, was genuinely in his heart of hearts. So Job admits that his contemporaries really respected him for what he did. Listen to Job 29:21. To me they listened and waited, and kept silent for my counsel. After my words they did not speak again, and my speech dropped on them, and they waited for me as for the rain, opened their mouth as for the spring. I smiled on them. And, I, and friends, that is the point. If our love for Jesus is genuine, people will sooner or later, to some extent, or they recognize that. In fact, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another, John 13. Well, indeed, I hope all of our listeners have really applied that message of the book of Job during this meaningful month. And, of course, we have another very meaningful month coming up, the month of December. This week on Facebook.com forward slash Whitcomb Ministries, we'll be switching from our month-long emphasis on Thanksgiving over to thoughts about the first coming of Christ. We want to help you prepare for the Advent and Christmas seasons. So be sure to check in with us each day for something new at Facebook.com forward slash Whitcomb Ministries, where Dr. Whitcomb will share devotional thoughts for the season, pointing us to Jesus Christ. Prepare for His coming with us on Facebook all through December. We'd love to hear from you there as well. We'll also be featuring Christmas messages all month long at sermonaudio.com forward slash Whitcomb. Please listen and share them with a friend. And then, join us here next weekend as we begin a three-part series on the fears and faith of Joseph. God's Word is true from the beginning to the end. That will be our message this Christmas season here on Encounter God's Truth. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift.